Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. A little bit more than the Nuggets to talk about. We'll mention it a bit. The Denver Broncos do sign uh, Frank Clark from the Kansas City Chiefs, a player that we're not going to talk about a lot right now. We'll get to it later in the show. But they, they did sign him. They talk about the Broncos adding him. And then Adam Schefter has them in the mix for uh, ex-Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. That's as much of a connection to George Payton as just about anything because there are tons of veteran running backs with big names out in free agency right now that don't have jobs. What uh, happened to Javante Williams coming back for training camp? Uh, that, that he, now, uh, he was back for the OTAs, one? surprisingly, oh. already ahead of schedule. What would you need? Oh. Well, we'll, we'll, yeah, I, I don't know. But we'll, we'll dig oh, into Javante's that. Javante's coming back, and they have P. Ryan. What do they need Dalvin Cook for? I don't, I don't get it either, except for the fact that Broncos fans are starved for names they're familiar with. Because those I think the Broncos speak with a forked tongue. That's my opinion. I, and I, I don't know why they feel the need to do that still, but that's the one common thread that extends through when the you're last talking about Schefter having years. the Absolutely. report that uh, the, the Dolphins Absolutely. and the Broncos will be interested. Of course, well, that comes that, from that, the Dolphins uh, and the Broncos. Of course. Right, right. They want and that to be known. They, they want the PR. Uh, you know, not, not, there's nothing wrong with Dalvin Cook for six, seven million a year. There's nothing he wrong was with making Dalvin 14. Cook. And if Javante Williams is out until midseason, there's nothing wrong with looking at Dalvin Cook. But either they're lying about having interest in Dalvin Cook or they're lying about Javante Williams' uh, time. Being ready for the beginning of the season. And they've been very specific about that. Uh, they said ready for training More than once they said he'll be ready for, ready for training camp. camp. And they had him out at OTAs uh, showing that he was, he was not working in full contact, but he was doing drills way ahead of schedule. And certainly the only reason he was out there was to further the narrative that, look, he's going to be ready because the OTAs, of course, are really barely football-related. There's nothing exactly. you do uh, in May that is going to help hey, you in football you, you games can, in the fall. You can run out for OTAs a guy who won't be ready to play in a game for six months. Sure. Just you can to, run just him out to, for just OTAs. Just to say, see, he's, he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, and, and I loved listening to Eric Spolster today because he basically said there's about as much chance of Tyler Hero playing in this series as there is that Alonzo Mourning will come out of retirement and play in this series. Right. And that's Spolstra taking what, what uh, the reverse there. I mean, let's, let's get to the Nuggets, of course, who take command of the series, winning game three, as we pointed out, in 1-1 one, one finals matchups. The winner of game three wins 80% of the time, although, as you've pointed out, in the last eight, it ended up being 50%, so it doesn't right. mean as much as one might think. No. But it's certainly better to win it rather than lose it, and the Nuggets did so in spectacular yeah. fashion. And what you see Spolstra talk about, as he, the Heat fans get a little nervous, but Tyler, Tyler Hero might be able to come in and save us. Last well, year, the, the but Denver he's not Nuggets. Saying that. He's I saying know, just my the point opposite. Is it, my point is, it is the opposite of what right. we saw in Denver when we saw that Jamal Murray's up, it's up to Jamal when he'll come back. And they did Jamal oh, Murray that, wrong. Oh, that was a year ago. Right, yeah. a year oh, ago. And well, they did him wrong yeah. with that. Of course. Spolstra is taking the pressure off of his guy going, no, my guy well, is hurt. He, he has been and very anything we would happen to get is a bonus. Not saying uh, you get cleared to resume basketball activity. Then you get to work out with coaches, and we know how that goes. You know, it's the pregame that you see sometimes. Right. Injured players and coaches are out on the floor. Uh, strength Doing a little workout. People, Maybe they're putting up a couple out, shots. Yeah. Then you're cleared for contact, contact and practice right. with other players. That's step number three. And step number four is you're cleared to play. And he basically said today, he's nowhere close to being cleared to play. He's, he's well, in stage good for three, Spolstra. and he's not 
Plugs for protecting his guy. So so there's none of that. It's Tyler Hero's fault he didn't come out. But the headline is his status remains unchanged for Game Four, which happens to be the truth. His status for Game Four is no different than it was a day before Game Three. They didn't rule him out of Game Three officially until either late Tuesday or sometime yesterday. Yeah, but he's officially ruled out. He won't play in Game Three. You see him working out, but Spolstra delineated the process and said it's a long step between practicing and being cleared for contact and practice and playing in a game. Right. And this is a guy who hasn't played in well over a month now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. He got hurt in the very first playoff game. Okay. Whenever Five that for a loose ball. Yeah. So, so it's, he, it's well over a month. Yeah. So he's not available. The... Uh, Denver Nuggets get it done in spectacular fashion. One of the great things about sports, Sandy, I was thinking about this last night. You and I texted a bit after the game as well. But you end up watching sports long enough. It is amazing that you will see something you've never seen before. And the NBA itself goes back 76 seasons. And the NBA Finals, as it is currently comprised, doesn't go quite back that far. But there have been plenty of great players in it. And... For the first time in history, two players had 30-point triple-doubles in the same game as teammates. It has never happened in a regular season game, in a playoff game. And then it happens last night in the finals with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Oh, there are all kinds of records they broke through. Murray becomes the first player ever to go for 10 assists, 10 assists, 10 assists in his first, first three, three finals o- games. Only, only three players have ever done it three games in a row in the finals. Ever. And, well, and he's the first yeah, one to do it in his, his first three. three games. It, it's but otherwise, here's it. the other Magic, two guys who have ever done it. Magic and Bob Cousy. 10 assists, 10 assists, 10 assists in his first three games. And that's Bob it. Cousy didn't in his first Those are the only three people NBA that have ever finals. done it in any three in a row, let alone your first well, three. Yeah, it's remarkable. Right, of course. They're the first teammates to have multiple 25-point, 10-assist performances. Uh, in the same game, and uh, uh, first tandem in NBA history, as you said, 30-point triple-doubles in the same game. Uh, Jokic, first player in NBA Finals history with at least 30-20-10 in a game. Uh, Tenth triple-double of the 23 playoffs. Uh, The Nuggets are 14-4 and uh, now overall in the playoffs, and... uh, his 16th career playoff triple-double last night. It, it is now happening more often than it isn't happening. Right. Nuggets have played 18 games. He's had triple-doubles in 10 of the 18. And he's come very close on several other occasions. The, the Jokic now leads the NBA in points, rebounds, and assists totals in the postseason. Now, of course. in many ways, that seems like that's not really a surprise. If it were to finish that way, it's never happened. Right. One player has no. never led the entire no. playoffs in total points, total rebounds, no. and total assists That's, before. Ever. Again, uh, furthering my argument that he's the greatest player of all time, and I understand there are people who think we're jumping the gun on that, and I respect those people a great deal. William C. Roden, longtime columnist for the New York Times, uh, writes for ESPN.com now, and he acknowledged the other day that uh, Jokic is a great player, but stopped short, said it was too soon to call him an all-time great, and 
you know, acknowledge, you know, let them win a championship first. And that this was written, by the way, before the game last night. So the 1-1 series still considered up for grabs. And I suppose in some respects it is. Uh, Miami's down 2-1, but they haven't lost anything since the series started in terms of home court advantage. They didn't have it before the series started. They don't have it now. Uh, you know, if the Nuggets had won the second game at home and Miami had won last night, uh, we'd be talking differently, but the series would still be two games to one. Uh, we need not overreact to wins or losses. That was our point over mm-hmm. the last three days prior to the game last night. Don't overreact as Malone did in a strangely negative way to game one. Uh, don't overreact as again Malone did to the loss in game two. And now every word that comes out of his mouth is an exact uh, restatement of every single point we made word for word over the last three days. And now he's saying, oh, I never had a worry. Our team is resilient. They always come back after uh, bad games. And uh, thank goodness I was there to calm down Jamal Murray after Sunday's game in which he felt he was solely responsible for the loss, uh, which uh, apparently he was. Michael Malone was the last person who calmed down Jamal Murray. The first person to calm him down was uh, Jokic, who told him to stop pouting, basically. No one wins a game by himself. No one loses a game by himself. And uh, Murray responded uh, last night, uh, both uh, physically and psychologically, uh, as if the weight of the world had been lifted from his shoulders. It was Jokic who did that. It had nothing to do with anything Malone said. In fact, Malone was the guy who got him into that mood to begin with. And what did uh, Murray talk about after the game? His mood, right. his words, my mood Which is exactly changed, what I've been talking and about. he basically said it was Jokic who changed it. Right. The coach exacerbated his bad mood. The coach had nothing to do with the win last night. And I say good for the coach because he stayed out of the way. And if I were the coach, I would have said months, if not years ago, to Jokic and Murray, you run the offense, do anything you want. I'm never going to design anything on offense, and I'm never going to speak about offense. Other great coaches, Hall of Fame coaches, have done this routinely through the years, through the decades. Uh, Malone's stubbornness keeps him from doing it, and his need for control, of course, and his need for credit, which is kind of childish. Uh, defensively, Malone can do whatever he wants. That's his area of expertise. Leave the offense alone. Let uh, Jokic and Murray do what is now clearly historical work, at least in the NBA. I've finals. talked about this, and I talked about it yesterday, but I've talked about it all the way back when the uh, Jamal Murray was supposedly coming back from his injury around Christmas. And I had told people, um, we were at another outlet, that that was not going to happen. I knew that was not going to happen. And I started to explain to people the understanding of what makes Jamal Murray tick. Jamal Murray, every player has his own personality in every single sport. In basketball, it can be outsized differentiator because so few players are on the field and or court in any given game. And in Murray's case, Michael Porter Jr., we can get to him later in the program as well. But those are guys that their mood can be brought down rather easily by authority figures. That's just who they are. And there are a lot of people like that. It's neither right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just who they are. Some people are like that. Some people aren't. Um, they need more positive reinforcement than negative reinforcement. Heck, I'm probably one of those guys. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But it, it shows how 
understanding how to coach each individual player is really important. And I thought it was interesting. And, and I, at, at the same time, I'm, I'm going to talk about giving Malone a little bit of credit because we'll get into it further. His in-game substitution pattern has gotten better in these playoffs, and he correctly recognized Christian Brown was cooking. I'm going to let Christian Brown cook. We're going to just let him do his thing. He's out there just fine and let him roll. And, and Malone has rarely done that. He did it in this game. He deserves credit for it. He has improved there. I agree. But the he's also sometimes making his job harder in that case when he you're talking about the situations way. with Murray. Now, what I thought now, was interesting. he inter- did last night. Now, here's he what I thought was night. interesting, though. After the game, and even as the Nuggets were winning the game in the fourth quarter, to a man on the national broadcast and even on, on the, uh, the ESPN Sports Center broadcast following that game, to a man, every single one of those people loved on Malone talking about he was the tough, straight-shooting coach. He was telling it like it Baloney. is. and gave, But they were doing it. Baloney. They were doing it. They don't know what they're talking about. That's part of the mystique, right? Because the truth of the matter is we love this sort of macho stuff in sports. And the idea that a guy coming you off know what of, he of, did, he did what George Steinbrenner used to do all the time. He'd throw a tantrum, he'd scream at the players, and then they'd win a few games because they were a good and baseball team. And Steinbrenner would take credit for it. Michael Malone is the coaching version of George Steinbrenner as an owner. The, the, a, you know, I yell at the team, then oh, they win. And oh well, all the all the announcers yeah you know, oh it's They're a tough love approach yeah, right. worked no actually it failed miserably and it was more a result of what he had to say after a win which nobody talks about that he criticized his team after a win and then blitzed them after they lost uh, all the wrong psychological signals were sent out by the head coach. When the assistant coaches and the other players told the head coach, as they have done oftentimes in recent years, to sit down and shut up, but uh, he, he took their advice and stayed out of the limelight last night. No rage timeouts, right. uh, no uh, jumping around and screaming in officials' faces after 50-50 calls, of course, because the Nuggets were so clearly the aggressors. Uh, they got the foul calls last night. And Miami shot fewer than 20 free throws, and the Nuggets shot almost 30 free throws. In, and it took them a the while ball. to get going with and it, by the way. And rightfully so. Uh, it, it took a while to get those free throws. The Nuggets didn't shoot theirs until a while in. And uh, by all out of all the people who finally started realizing that letting Jokic be mugged and having the two-time MVP getting mugged every time down wasn't going to make for good basketball, mm. Tony Brothers is the guy that started calling that and, and got things uh, back on track. Yeah. So uh, give but him some you credit. You know what? Jokic flops at the other end, too. Sure. And well, they don't, the problem and, is and they call flops. offensive fouls. I, I, I'm just saying the notion that Jokic doesn't get super star calls should have been retired three years he's ago. Getting, he's getting them. He gets them as much as any superstar in the league, and let's stop with it. He's not favored over other superstars, but he's not disfavored either. Stop the nonsense. The Nuggets shoot far more free throws than their opponents do. They get 50-50 calls far more often than their opponents do because they're recognized as aggressors on most nights, and aggressors get calls, period. They're, all, they're also, exactly, and they're going to the basket instead of sitting and settling for threes. But I do want to not get away from this because I think it's important when we look at modern NBA and modern coaching. The idea of understanding that certain players, like Jamal Murray, who can be 
historically great. So stop with the not tough or any of that business. He can be historically great. Not everybody responds to the tough left stuff. Human beings need to be coached in the way that they are that they absorb it best. And watching the broadcast at the end, the idea of, you know, see, look at Maloney, he gave these guys a really hard time, and so that's why they did better. As you pointed out, doesn't make sense. But this is one of the things that sports we have to get better at. It, it, it's Everyone loves the macho stuff. It's because, oh, yeah, well, that guy was tough. No, 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 no. Sometimes, actually, toughness is the wrong thing. Sometimes understanding is the right thing. Sometimes patience is the right thing. Sometimes sympathy is the right thing. And good coaches, nor great coaches, know that. And, and this notion in sports across the board that you have to be uh, tough all the time and holler and be hard on guys has always been wrong. It has never been the truth. And now at least we're getting smart enough, I think, as a society to understand that, you know what, you're paying these guys this much money, you better start coaching them in the way they're going to get the best performance out of them. And so all of a sudden, the money itself drives the necessity to coach players in a different way. Did any of these commentators last night say that Eric Spolstra, by not yelling at his team after the game last night, not criticizing him in the media? Caused the loss. Of course not. Is a bad coach now? Of course not. Well, if they're consistent, they have to say right. that. But there is because they gave credit to the tough we guy just, routine. We just love so pumping the guy up the tough who guy. never does the tough guy routine who has multiple has titles. to be criticized. Oh, but of course they won't right. do that. No. You just love talking up the tough. It's tough. They love talking up tough. A- anyway, a- anybody who Macho been listening manly man stuff. with any degree of seriousness w- to uh, any of these guys on ESPN, the only guys worth listening to. Uh, doing NBA basketball are Michael Wilbon, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kenny Smith. That's the uh, whole list, by the way. Anybody else, uh, Van Gundy and Jackson in particular, Van Gundy and Jackson quit taking basketball seriously years ago and stopped preparing years ago. And they just do their shtick now. They're not serious basketball people. Uh, I think it's funny that uh, uh, last night Jackson was going on and on about the great Pat Riley. Jeff Van Gundy hates Pat Riley. Yeah. He hates him with a passion. So does Stan Van Gundy. Both guys felt they were done wrong by Pat Riley. They hate Pat Riley. If there's a word stronger than hate, I'd apply it. They hate Pat Riley. Every time on an ESPN broadcast anyway, that there is credit given to Pat Riley. And in fact, on TNT, when Stan Van Gundy is on the broadcast and Reggie Miller goes on and on about Pat Riley, Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Van Gundy don't say a word, not a word. Now, I happen to think Stan Van Gundy is a much better analyst now than his brother. It used to be different, but now he's a much better analyst than his brother. Why take anything those guys uh, say seriously, uh, Van Gundy was another nutball coach who, who screamed and yelled all the time and whined to the referees after every call and got fired in Houston because they got tired of him whining. He he didn't get fired like George Carl did because he was coaching in the 60s. He got fired at a very young age and never rehired. By the way, Mark Jackson also fired at a young age, never rehired by anybody. It's been uh, almost a decade now. 
and his agent leaks that he's a candidate for jobs every time. You got the same one Isaiah Thomas has? Seems like they might have the same guy. (laughs) Isaiah's not as good, at least not anymore, because Isaiah Thomas's name never comes up, and Mark Jackson's name always comes up, and there's no difference between the two as serious NBA coaching candidates. Neither one is. But in any event, don't don't listen to those fools. And the beauty of it is, you don't have to, because you know what? That's the beauty of sports, right? We have a thing to keep track of all that. Scoreboard. The Nuggets win going away in game three. They take a 2-1 series lead, have an opportunity to really put a stranglehold on it. Friday, we'll continue to break it down. We want your opinion on it as well. The call and text line is 303-831-1340. He's Sandy. I'm Sean. We'll be back next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. That's right. Happy uh, Purple Day. Let's celebrate. Apparently, great Prince would have been 66 today. But uh, on the court, you now have a king in Nikola Jokic putting things together that, that people have never seen before. And as you pointed out specifically... Sandy, at this point, if you're Michael Malone, just leave him be. Not not only is Nikola Jokic running the Nuggets offense like a symphony, he's doing it off the court because his speech to the team, and you alluded to it earlier, but we should dig into it a little bit more. His speech to the team after game two was the one that, apparently really shook the Nuggets up. Not Michael Malone's showing 17 clips where somebody had to call out, <laughs> where a bench guy had to go tell Jamal Murray what he did wrong or things like yeah, that. Right. Um, DeAndre Jordan talked to Bleacher Report about the post-game speech. Here's what he said. It caught us all by surprise. It was unexpected. When Nicola says something, everyone's awareness is heightened. I compare him to a guy like Tim Duncan. He's never very boisterous, but when he speaks, it speaks volumes. Me, Jeff Green, DJ-ish KCP will always give our two cents on things we see during the game. But Nicola saying something elevated the message. I've been on him more for being about vocal. And even in tonight's game, he was extremely vocal and it was good for our team. He was asked specifically what he said and he wouldn't get into the details, but Jordan said his message is basically we can't be relaxed. We have to fight and have more energy and pay attention. Leading up to game three, everyone was hyper-focused. That transferred into the yeah. game. Uh, Caldwell Pope said very simply, when he talks after a game, you listen. Yes. But what he also said after the game, in contrast to Malone's ranting and raving, sometimes you win, sometimes you yep. lose. And why? I never remember this happening until maybe the last 10, 15 years where every playoff game mm. is treated a sweep is rare. like Both. it's it's predictive mm-hmm. of what's to come. And the zigzag theory, which is the theory that most sane people follow, allows that teams that get beaten have more resolve in the next game than the team that just did the winning. 
Would anybody be shocked if the Miami Heat happened to win game four? I'm picking the Nuggets shocked? and have picked the Nuggets in five, yeah, but I wouldn't too, be shocked, shocked no. if the Heat tied the series. No. I'm very confident that after five games, the worst case scenario is that the Nuggets are up three games I to two. I'm confident of that. I believe, and I'll stick with my pre-series prediction, that the Nuggets are good enough and mature enough and championship ready enough to win this series in five games. I don't pick sweeps for exactly the reasons <laughs> we've to been do. outlining today. The Nuggets had won seven playoff games in a row before they lost on Sunday night. Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. The Colorado Avalanche went 16-4 and four in winning the Stanley Cup last year. The Nuggets are 14-4 and four at the present time. If they win the next two games... They will be champions. Uh, last year, uh, certain elements of the media counted out the Avalanche four times during the playoffs. After every single loss, they were counted out by certain segments of the media, the least sophisticated segments of the media. Their coach was deemed unworthy. Their team was counted out every single time they lost in the playoffs last year. This year, it's been even after wins, that it hasn't been the media. It's been the coach who's disrespected and criticized his team, which is crazy. I've never seen that in my life before. It doesn't make Michael Malone a bad coach. It just makes him a hot-headed one. And by the way, that is his reputation all over the NBA, and everybody knows it, including the announcers who are celebrating him, if they're paying any attention, if they ever talk to NBA people, and maybe they don't. Maybe they don't, but his league-wide reputation, you don't have to go very far to listen to people say that the one thing Malone, young Malone doesn't have that the father had is a sense of perspective and poise. He's, he, he blows up constantly, and I think in his mind that's what assistants should do, and the weird thing is his father was not a blow-up guy at all, even as an assistant. He was the calm, cool voice of reason on every staff he was ever on. And, boy, he was on a bunch of them because Brendan Malone was always in demand as the best NBA assistant coach in the business for the better part of 30 years. Now, it's important that we, we take this in stride because uh, both of us believe uh, before this series, especially now, that the Nuggets are going to win the NBA title. Uh, not every coach that's ever won the NBA title is Greg Popovich or Pat Riley. That's okay. Uh, there have been coaches that have, that have not gone to the Hall of Fame that have won finals. Well, that's I'll, okay I'll too. name one. I'll it name it doesn't, one. doesn't take anything away from it. I'll name one. Rick Carlisle. And what happened in Dallas in 2011 was Tim Gergerich showed up on the scene with the express purpose of keeping Rick Carlisle away from the players because the players hated Rick Carlisle, who is a brilliant coach. Brilliant coach. And well-respected as such in the business. But Strangely, for a former player who was basically a reserve throughout his NBA career, he had no sympathy for reserve players or stars whatsoever. He'd criticize them constantly. They only won when Tim Gerger showed up, an assistant coach for George Carl for many years, and the players loved Tim Gerger. Love him. He is knowledgeable. He is also nurturing. Um, 
Rick Carlisle is not nurturing, was never nurturing as a coach, and Tim Gergerich settled the players down so they could relax. What happened? Rick Carlisle outcoached Eric Spolster because he's a hell of a coach. But the nurturing of the players was left to Tim Gergerich. And sure enough, they beat LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh in the NBA Finals in 2011, the first year those guys were together, and LeBron was talking about not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. They lost that year, and they were simply beaten by a better San Antonio team three years later, and they won the two titles in, in between. But Rick Carlisle needed help from an assistant who was very different. I think the Nuggets have at least David Adelman and probably one or two other assistant coaches, Ryan Bowen as well, who are guys who will uh, calm things down, calm the waters. George Carl talks all the time about why he hired Doug Moe as an assistant. He said there were factions on the team, but every faction on the team loved Doug Moe, loved having him around. The this was Doug the assistant coach, not the Doug the head coach of the eighties. It's funny to bring this to, to Michael Malone in this regard too, because look, we're talking about a guy that might be an NBA champ in in a matter of days. But I would venture to say, uh, not trying to be terribly coy about it, that if Michael Malone thought that after uh, a win, pointing out the lack of energy was a problem, and but then Michael Malone shouldn't really have any Should Michael Malone shouldn't have any issues at all with us pointing out that uh, after a win these coaching decisions were still problematic because I guess that's just tough love on our part. Right. And I, I guess that's, I guess that's okay. So it's more of a matter of, of understanding that the nuggets are being led by two superlative players who yes. are absolutely in sync as well. You name the tandem. And I on don't, defense, too, I don't where they were care. outstanding last night. And I want to talk about that. They most certainly today. were. And I, you name the tandem. You want to say Jordan Pippen. You want to say uh, Magic Kareem. You, you, you give me anybody. Give me Duncan and, and Robinson. I don't care. Stockton Malone. Give me any combo you want. The two-man game that Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are on right now is as good as anybody in the history of the NBA. And you don't have to ask me. You can just go to the numbers because what they did last night was completely unprecedented. Both on an individual level, you talked about it with Murray getting three consecutive games of double digits assists, and as a tandem. And it is that reason that they are winning. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. has his own set of issues, some of which are her is- his issues alone that, that, that have to do with him. And there are others that uh, we talk about Malone's style of coaching. Porter Jr. is similar to Murray in that he works better with yeah. the carrot than the stick. His shot right now is yeah. broken. Yeah. Uh, the effort was better last night, but Malone also did the right thing and didn't play him in the and fourth quarter at all. Playing time. Cut his playing but time. And, it, all and these things happen. Guys who are playing better. So many more. things can happen simultaneously. And it's important to look at that. You can still be a average to slightly better than average coach and win a title if you have the right players. Well, you can be uh, and you can if, be an you average have, NBA player if you have better teammates or a great you coach. Have this good is the way it goes. Coaches, you can be that way too, and you don't have to always listen and go along with what they say. But you need to be open to the possibility that they may have some ideas that are better. There's force for the tree ideas. sometimes, right? When you're a coach and, and, and you have to realize that at times when things are rolling, 
you think you may have all the answers and you, you get into the forest of the trees situation. And that's hopefully why you have, you talk about the great coaches, uh, Phil Jackson and, and Tex winner. You talked about Brendan Malone, uh, the, Johnny Bach with Phil Jackson, the, the, the coaches Phil Jackson had an outstanding right. staff. There wasn't a stiff coaches that have good staffs usually have at least one person on that staff uh, for a while with, with Greg Popovich, even Ben Becky Hammond, who has their ear and can kind of grab them on the shoulder and say, hey, 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 hang on. Let me, let me tell you something. You know, like you, hopefully you're one of those people that's lucky enough. You have a best friend that when you do something dumb, they might kind of poke you and be like, and you might not want to do that. Someone that can help you challenge, challenge your own perspective. And for Malone at times, it seems as if either having that or having that be an impact has been problematic. But in this game, again, like we say, multiple things can be true. The way he's handling the players, you can kind of question. But the improvement in the in-game coaching is very real. It would not have been the Michael Malone of even the beginning of this regular season, Sandy, who have watched, maybe watched Christian Brown have three, four good minutes and say, you know what? Just let him roll. Wow. The Michael Malone of, of eight months ago would not have done that. Um, I, I give him credit uh, because he had benched. Uh, Brown at the end of the Lakers series, and as I said at the time, properly so. Right, he and made a mistake, a defensive mistake, on the one a pretty job glaring he was to one, do. pretty glaring one. Um, in the middle of the third quarter of Game Three of the Western Conference Finals, he was taken out, as I predicted he would be at the time. He <laughs> said he'd be yelled at. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but he would definitely be yanked from the game. And as a matter of fact, he was, and he was not reinstated. He did not play at all in game four. But in game one of this series, though he only played eight minutes, it surprised me that Malone went back to him and recognized that some of the matchups that he could have an effect on in this series, especially on defense, some of the matchups are better for him than they might have been against the Lakers. Yeah. All right? Who, who had guys that were either much quicker or much stronger than Brown. But the Miami Heat, their whole roster pretty much is made up of guys between 6'4 and 6'9. Those are exactly the mm-hmm. kind of guys that someone of Christian Brown's intelligence, competitiveness, and size, 6'6 six, six and a half, 220 pounds, rock solid, can handle. Christian Brown is a bigger player than Elgin Baylor was. For example, Elgin Baylor averaged 13, 14 rebounds a game in his day. You don't have to be big and strong to be a great player. I'm not saying Christian Brown is in Elgin Baylor's class as a player by any means. I'm just making the point that if you're looking at 6'4 to 6'9 guys, he can match up against a whole bunch of folks on the Miami Heat. So he plays eight minutes the first game. He plays, I think, 15 in game two, and he played 19 last night. And I think he should play 20 to 25 minutes in game four because the difference last night was not just the 19 minutes. It was how much of that time was spent playing with Murray and Jokic. And to me, with Murray and Jokic, all you need is a guy who moves without the ball. The best player on the Nuggets at moving without the ball by far is Brown. There's nobody even close. There's nobody who even particularly moves well without the ball other than uh, Brown. Uh, So you have that. You have Gordon to bang inside. And then you have Porter, and you have Bruce Brown, and you have Caldwell Pope. And in this series, you pick the one who's playing best, and he's the fifth player on the floor, and that's your best lineup. 
and you'll win every game against Miami with that line. The defense, in the end, despite the phenomenal numbers that Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray put up, it was the defense for the Denver Nuggets that was really the difference maker. We'll break into that a little bit, talk about some of the numbers and why it bodes well for the Nuggets' opportunity to bring back the title to Denver next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Never Nuggets get the win in Game Three, a 15-point victory in which they made one, one three-pointer in the second half and beat the Heat in both the third quarters and the fourth quarters and beat them by 10 points overall in that second half, despite hitting one three. One of them, they obviously weren't shooting them well. And two, the Nuggets credited were five for 18 on the night, only one in that second half. Instead of leaning into it and allowing these longer rebounds that led to Miami transition buckets, the Nuggets finally decided, the heck with this. Let's actually just start taking what we can hit, go into the basket. They earned what they earned their free throws. That made a difference. And Miami didn't quite understand what to do with that. So great job for the Nuggets there. The Nuggets uh, are shooting, by the way, well over 50% in the series. Yep. And they're shooting 50% or better in every one of the three games. Yep, 51.2 so last y- night. you can't go by just shooting percentage. I get that because game two, they shot a high percentage and they weren't very good. We all agree with that. Uh, the five for 18 didn't matter because more than three quarters of their shots were taken inside the arc right. last night, 62 out of 80, and they were 20 two for 27, which is fine at the line. That's 81.5%. That's good. And uh, they killed them on the boards. Uh, even on the offensive boards, where it really matters, 13 to 10, of course, the Nuggets had twice as many defensive rebounds because they shot 51.2% and the Heat shot 37%. So, of course, the Nuggets had more defensive rebounds. There were more defensive rebounds to be had. That's why you pay no attention to defensive but rebounds. But how about these numbers? But offensive rebounds you do, 13 to 10, Free throw attempts, 27-19. Assist, 28-20. Star points, 66-50. In a game, they win by 15 and 60-34. Exactly. Two Miami Heat players got to the 50% mark. Kyle Lowry with four for eight shooting in 30 minutes. And and, uh, Duncan Robinson, who went three for six in his 14. And it didn't make any difference because that came at the end. Kevin Love only two for five. Struce went one for seven. Terrible. Vincent went two for ten. Uh, Jimmy Butler eleven for twenty-four, which you can live with every single time. Oh, sure. That if it fine. takes him twenty-four shots to fine. get twenty-eight points, you'll live with that. Oh, Bam you can Adebayo, live with it, but that was a solid game. No, by there was Butler. nothing wrong with with out of bio seven for twenty-one. And get this. We, again, we have to stop looking at defense as block shots. I get it, it's more exciting. Everyone likes watching, you know, well, the old Dikembe Matumbo launching things into the front. But here you go. Jokic had two. <laughs> Jokic but on contested blocks. shots that where Jokic was the defender and contested, Sandy, 19 shots Jokic contested on. The Heat made three. Okay. I'll get I'll do you one better. Murray and Jokic combined contested 31 shots. The Heat made seven. That's beautiful basketball. 
That's beautiful. So when Nikola Jokic contests, so he's allowing 16%. they were almost as good on defense 16. As, as they were on offense last night. And uh, both of them, especially Murray, talked after the game about how they play the game. And Murray said, we read the defense and we trust each other, and it has nothing to do with X's and O's, maybe Murray's little shot at Malone, uh, who believes that 90% that of the game is about X's and O's. And, and it's not. It's about feel. And that's, they that's play the truth. by feel. When you I have a player Malone like Jokic, coach by there, there are no Malone. X's and O's for a guy like Nikola Jokic, and everyone understands that. Uh, the passing angles that he finds did not exist in the they NBA. Aren't designed. So they aren't designed. So you can't. Uh, they play by feel. Uh, basketball is it's a game the way the Nuggets played it. It is like a, a, an improvisational jazz band that sits down and they get the rhythm of the one guy and then somebody hops in uh, on the bass and then somebody keeps the beat on the drums and then somebody pops in with the trumpet and it all works together in synergy because everybody understands what the other one's trying to do and then they can create what they create within the framework of what they're all doing together. And that's what the Nuggets do with Nikola Jokic. That's why he's such a singular player. And the funny thing is, while that's the way the offense works, to an extent it can be the way the defense works too. And for the way Murray described it, that's a lot of what happened. He started to get a feel for what the other person was doing, where they were. Uh, Aaron Gordon, of course, doing his usual brilliant a one-on-one deep, but the, the switches were faster. The rotations were better. The the Nuggets on multiple times baited players into bad shots, and the heat fell for them on multiple occasions. This was really a, a remarkable performance, and I will give the heat this much credit. It probably shouldn't have been this close at the half, but the heat were game enough because that's who they are. They are gritty and they are gutty, and they continue to, to scrap through everything, and they'll keep it close. But the Nuggets, just like in game one, almost played as close to a perfect game as can be played. Well, and you brought up the point there with the with people look at playoff games and expect these to all be predictive. Look, the other guys get paid too, right? These are These are the two best teams remaining in the NBA. To expect one of them to completely dominate the other is just foolish. Here's the deal, though. If Jokic and Murray are the two best players on the floor, and they clearly were last night, with all due respect to Butler and Adebayo, who were fine, but they weren't great, certainly not historically great, and they were badly outplayed, that was the game within the game. The two-man game of the Nuggets versus Butler and Adebayo, and the difference in the game was 15 points. The difference in, in just star points was 16. So you could argue if you took Jokic and Murray away from the Nuggets and Putler and Adebayo away from the Heat, these two teams are pretty much dead even. Yeah. Okay, but the difference is if if it's Jokic, who's going to be the best player in virtually every game and certainly the best player in the series no matter who wins it, he's the best player, but Adebayo or Butler is number two, Murray's number three, and Butler or Adebayo is number four. Okay. It's going to be a tight series. But if it happens that, as it did last night, the best player on the floor was Jokic. The second best player was Murray. I would accept arguments that would suggest you could reverse that. (laughs) Okay. 
Murray's the best and Jokic is the second best. At least for the 19 minutes he was out there, the third best player on the floor last night was Christian Brown. For the 19 minutes he was out there. So, arguably, arguably, the Nuggets had for almost half the game, not just the two best players on the floor, but three best players on the floor. That's a loser for Miami. There's nothing they can scheme up that will counteract that. And I would say if the Nuggets have Jokic and Murray as the two best players on the floor, they will not lose again in this series. If those are the two best players on the floor, I don't care what anybody does on the Miami side. If Butler and Adebayo are the third and fourth best players, that's a loser for yep. Miami. You're, you're, you're just not going to win. And most NBA final series, you don't have the two best players on one team. Now, the Chicago Bulls in their dynasty often did. In Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen have the two best players mm -hmm. on the floor. During their most memorable series, the last one, the last dance series, they won without home court advantage, by the way, over the Utah Jazz. The best players in that series, even though Jordan got sick once and Pippen was coming off an operation and probably wasn't at his best, but the two best players in that series were Jordan and Pippen. Malone was fourth or third, and Stockton was fourth or third. Ultimately, even with home court advantage, they lost two games at home because they didn't have the best player on the floor and they didn't have the second best player on the floor. They had at best the third best player on the floor. That was a loser, and it was always going to be a loser for the Utah Jazz. When Stockton and Malone played a little better during the three games in Chicago, the Jazz took two of three of those games. But in virtually all the games in Utah, at least two out of the three, Jordan was the best player. And Pippen was the second best player. And actually, didn't they won the first two games in Utah. So they won all yes. three games that they played in Utah. Yes. Well, in all three of those games, Jordan was the best player. Now, the last one, Pippen had to go out because he was hurt. So, again, two out of the three games in Utah, uh, they were the two best players. But that that's, that's how this series uh, feels to me. Now, Miami will keep its cool. Butler will probably play better defense than he did last night. His defense was not good. It was. Night. It was. It, it uh, was not good. And his offense was fine. His defense was not particularly. Trying good. to find a way. And he, he'll play better on defense in game four. I have probably confidence in that for and sure. Adebayo, I know he shot seven for twenty-one, but twenty-two points, seventeen rebounds. How's he going to do much better than that? Right. And if he had been playing a mere mortal. It would have been his game. Uh, yes. With 22, 22 and 17, 17 in the finals? That ain't Normally bad. we're talking but about the other guy at 32 and 21. And oh, by the way, 10 assists, only three for Adebayo. And who two blocks? The non shot blocker had two blocks. And the guy who really isn't a great shot blocker when you look at the numbers, but is known as a better shot blocker than Jokic, he had one block. And uh, the Nugget played 44 minutes, Jokic, and Adebayo played 41. And Jokic is plus 15, and Adebayo is minus 20. There you have it. 
Well, defense <laughs> gets you wins. And out of bio, play fine. It's just that simple. You want to win, you get defense. And if you've been injured, you want to get the best defense you can. That's our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com is the website. 720-845-7001 is the phone number. Hire the winner. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting and defending their clients. They have locations all over Colorado, Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, even Cheyenne, and the injury office right here in the DTC where we're at at Mile High Sports. When you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery by either settlement or trial. So don't hire someone off the billboard. Hire someone who will fight for you, who will defend you. That's Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com. 720-845-7001. We'll be joined to break this down with CBS News Colorado and good friend of the program, Justin Adams, will join us. We'll talk about the Nuggets being as close as they have ever been to any sort of title. Two wins is the closest they've gotten. Can they get three on Friday? We'll talk about it with Justin next on My Life Sports. The kind.